So if you always put yourself in the worst position possible, to that's how you mitigate risk, is being super conservative within reason. And, and then there's only, like you said, Marco, there's only one way and that's up and that's what we want. Yeah. Welcome to the Big Fat Real Estate Checks Podcast with Marco Kozlowski, where we help investors like you get the knowledge and skills you need to replace your J-O-B with passive cash flow for life. Hey, Marco here. I really wanted to share with you our earlier podcasts that we created. Now, our mics were not the best, but the content was really strong. And I know you will learn a lot. We had an absolute blast recording this, and I know you're absolutely going to love it as much as we loved recording it. This extremely content-rich information will not only give you the edge in your real estate investing business, but in everyday life. Enjoy. All right, boys and girls, we're back for due diligence now on the commercial side, specifically multifamily commercial. Um, so multifamilies uh, that are, I'm going to say under 100 units, because over 100 units, you're going to have a different series of uh, checkpoints um, and probably your own management team in order to uh, make that into the best possible property that it can be. So we're going to just say under 100 units-ish, uh, we're going to uh, have these series of due diligence items uh, in order for us to um, do our checks and balances to see if this is something that we either want to buy wholesale or run away from. Uh, where do we start? Well, I, I think some of the similars, if you watch the other podcasts on residential, there's some similarities with uh, commercial uh, DD and with, with the commercials, so this is again, four and up, up until uh, hundred units. The first thing is we verify the income. Yep. That's right. Um, and there's certain tools that we verify. And these are typically when you're dealing with larger units, you're not dealing with mom and pop. So you, you still may be, but you're dealing with more um, separate entities that hold these, these particular assets. So you would ask for, you know, what, 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 what do people have to, 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 to prove their income? And one thing we ask for is profit and loss statements. Um, so we ask for profit and loss statements. And in addition to that, we ask for general ledgers. And what general ledgers are is if you, you know what a profit and loss is, so it has a column of all the uh, all the income, so all the income for that property, and then it has all the expenses. But the expenses are broken down into categories, all right? Mm -hmm. So they may have repairs and maintenance, $30,000. Now, what a general ledger does, and that's why we ask for it, it breaks down what that $30,000 is. So we can look at each item, and, and if there's something that pops up that, uh, that looks suspicious or... Um, out of the ordinary. Out of the ordinary. And what yeah. we do, we typically ask for three years. And we ask for three years because we want to see consistency. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to see a spike in, in properties because, you know, it, it does happen. Like yeah. in, in Texas, they have that scenario where if there's a hurricane, there's a spike in, in, in occupancy. In Panama City, Florida, I'm going through right now, I have some properties. And now there's scarcity. It's supply and demand. Uh, most of the properties, they got hit last year with uh, Hurricane Matthews in, in October, which was devastating. It was three miles less than a, a category five uh, that made landfall and it devastated the whole Panama city and the panhandle in Florida. And what happened, it took a lot of inventory out. And what happens is income obviously went up because people are looking for places to live. Um, so that's why we asked for three years. So we have a, a comparative over three years in terms of the influctuation. And right. it's always going to be up and down, but if you see a big spike, then that's a problem. Or, or if it's in the energy uh, sector as well, um, where you have, you know, they struck oil or and the whole area is based on the oil industry or oil and gas or energy. Uh, and then 
if the, the price per barrel drops, then no one wants to live there anymore because right. they don't drill there or they don't, you know, they don't mine there or whatever the, you know, the. If it's industry dependent, basically, that's something you want to validate. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So then uh, we'll, we'll have different checks and balances for that. But make sure you 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 know where the uh, the, the tenant base is coming from. It's very very important. So you sorry. So your profit and loss is your your basically your starting point. You're going to take the PNL that they supply you with, and then you're going to validate that what they're saying there is correct. And again, we're going to start with revenue. The revenue is, is, is fairly similar to revenue in a, in, a, in a residential where you're going to ask for all the leases, copies of the leases, you're going to, uh, or check a rent roll. You can have a rent roll uh, given to you, and then you're going to validate that they're actually collecting the income. And to do that, it's the same thing. You're either going to check bank statements. Again, like Frank said, they, they may be more sophisticated than the larger multifamily, so they might have a separate bank statement for that property itself. It'll be a lot less... Uh, invasive than when you're asking someone's personal bank account because that's where they deposit their checks. Uh, there's also the tax returns where you can validate what kind of income they're declaring. Uh, what else can we do for, 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 well, for income? I, it's, you know, the deposit receipts if they don't want to give you bank statements. Yeah, and I, we like to we like to compare all those. So the reason we're asking for this, we're just not we're not paper collectors. It's just with the P and L, we look at the P and L. So we look at numbers. the we look at that revenue, and and t typically actually we've been asking for uh, not annual P&Ls, monthly, and I'll tell you why. Because when you get a monthly P&L, you'll see what they generated for that particular month, and then we like to compare it to. Let's compare it now to the rent roll. So does the rent roll match up with the P&L? And then we like to compare it to the bank statement. The does lease, the, does the bank statement compare to the to the rent roll and the P&L? And then we ask for the tax returns, which is on an annual basis, of course. Right. And then if they don't, yeah, you know, there's going to be some variance, but if there's a big difference, discrepancy, you're going to question the seller and say, hey. Your rent roll for this particular month on this year does not uh, compute with the deposits made for that particular yeah. month. What happened? And what happened there? And there could be a logical explanation. Maybe some people do take the income and before they deposit it, they spend uh, on, on some of the expenditures, which is not really the proper way to do it. But they, they take the rent in, they go, okay, we got to pay for a new air conditioner and they'll spend it and then they make the deposit. And that may be the discrepancy and that may be justifiable. Yeah. Uh, so we ask for those four things and compare them month to month. Yes. So hang on a second. So first we're going to look at um, P&Ls, mm -hmm. right, which are profit and losses. And we're going to go through that and see if, if that makes sense. Now, if I've never seen a profit and loss statement before and I look at it, it could look like complete scary. You know, Chinese scary. and scary. Exactly. Quite, quite daunting. Uh, we're also going to look at rent rolls. Now, for those of you that don't know what a rent roll is, uh, it's a list of uh, Mary lives in 1A and she pays $900 a month and she's been there since October of 2017 and her lease expired in 2018. She renewed and now uh, for the next five years and and, th and this is when her lease expires. Uh, and it basically gives a whole list of who's in the property, who's paying, who's not paying. Uh, and it gives you a, a snapshot of, of who is in the building and when their leases are up and when they're not up. So it gives you a really good snapshot as to what the income is from a month-to-month -month basis. And then you can compare that to the monthly P&L as to what the income should be. Because if you take a look and just add all those columns up uh, for the month, let's say, of September, if September says $34,000, but uh, they only deposit ten, dollars what problem. happened, yeah. right? What, what's going on there? Um, then we also want to look at the yearly tax return to see what they actually uh, claimed to see if that's similar to, uh, to what, what's... On the books? Yeah, and that's delicate, right? Because it could be that they're not declaring all the income because there's some people that actually take in cash and only declare what they get in checks because they want to reduce their fiscal bill, which 
uh, you know, isn't something that's strange. It's actually quite normal for some people. So, uh, so we don't I, recommend it necessarily. No, that's right. No, yeah. I mean, we, it, you got to play by the rules, but yeah. it, it's, some people do that. And it doesn't mean because their tax return doesn't, this is why we do everything else. Because if everything else matches, but the tax return doesn't match, they'll tell you that they don't declare all their income. That's something that people, for some reason, are not afraid of telling you. But uh, you still have to ask for it and, and make sure it checks. Obviously, if they're, you know, completely honest and they actually declare all the income that they collect, that should match with all the other uh, facets of verification that you've done. And then that's going to close your revenue verification uh, portion. And then you can move on to the expenses. Now, if they're all different, we're going to use the lowest possible number. All the time. Yeah. yeah. So if, if one doesn't match the other, that doesn't match the other, we want to be as conservative as possible because it can only get better. Uh, we don't want to buy... Uh, expecting, you know, to make more money, we want to, uh, sorry, ex expecting to make uh, more money, but we actually make less. I'd rather expect to make less, but we actually make more. So. And, and notice that we never want to buy the property. We always find reasons not to buy it. So, mm -hmm. and that's sort of something that you should be doing yourself because a lot of people just are married to the property and, oh, don't worry, it's going to be this, it's going to be that, it's going to work out. Well, no, and it often doesn't. So if you always put yourself in the worst position possible to, that's how you mitigate risk, is being super conservative within reason. And and then there's only, like you said, Marco, there's only one way and that's up and that's what we want. Yeah, we want to we want to be worst case scenario people and if we can make money in the worst case scenario, then we're going to be fine. That's right. Yeah. Expenses. We, the expenses are, again, we, we they're similar to the residential in the sense that it's, you know, it's just a larger tax bill that you can go get from uh, the county, you can get on Zillow, you can you can get the tax uh, I guess the tax property the tax bill pretty much anywhere. You can also ask the seller. I like to do this personally is ask the seller for all the information then just corroborate it because uh, two things happen. One, you can see if they actually match, which is good, and if they do, then you know that your seller is probably honest. If they give you things that are not correct, uh, like if they give you a tax bill and it's uh, only for because they pay the taxes four times a year and they only give you one of them and then you only have twenty five percent of the taxes for the year. And then you go check on the county and then it says that it's four times more. And then you have to question. He says, oh, yeah, I got to pay these four times a year. Well, then you have an idea of what type of individual you're dealing with as well. Uh, but at the same time, you're covering your ass, which is what's important here is making sure you, you've, you've covered all your bases. So taxes, insurance, uh, you can ask for the quote again, but uh, whatever they get as an insurance quote is something that you have to really look into because their deductibles may vary, their level of coverage may vary, their liability insurance, if they have any, may vary. You want to actually get your uh, insurance broker, your insurance company to quote you based on what your needs are and then uh, use that as the number because that's going to be an actual on your expense list. It's not going to be a maybe. If your insurance company quotes you 12000 for the year, then that's the number you're using, even though their insurance is 8000 So taxes, insurance... Uh, maintenance. Maintenance is where uh, Frank spoke about the GL. That maintenance is is interesting because what the number you're going to see on the GL on the sorry on the profit and loss is a total amount for the year, which consists of probably you know tens and tens and maybe even hundreds of different maintenance issues, whether they're maintenance items, whether they're labor. So the only way to actually va validate some of these items is through sampling. So when you get a GL. Let's say the maintenance number was $50,000 for the year. And you ask for the GL, you're going to see that the 50000 consists of a number of items. So let's say there's 100 items in there. You can randomly select, let's say, 15 of these items. 
and you can select number one, number 15, number 30. You can do whatever you want. You can make your cat pick, your child pick, whatever you want. Close your eyes and point. It's up to you. And it's actually better to do it this way. So you randomly pick. Don't, don't even look at the amounts, whether they're $1 or they're $1,000 or $50,000. It doesn't matter because uh, I've, you know, I have a background in auditing and I've seen more mistakes in the one cent and one dollar amounts where that was a, a, a huge mistake uh, because they know that everybody wants to look at the big numbers. So where do they screw you is on the little numbers. So just pick randomly 10, 15 items and ask for the bill. Ask for the actual invoice that supports that amount. And if they give you all these, uh, these 15 items and they match, then you know that probably everything else matches as well. If seven of those are wrong, then you know that that's a red flag. Ask for another 15 and see how many more mistakes there are. And you know what? If you got to check them all, then you check them all because you want to make sure that you're not inheriting someone else's problem here. Yeah. So the maintenance ones is a bit of a crapshoot, but this is how you mitigate the risk. Ash, another uh, tail sign that they're maybe BSing is uh, round numbers. Yeah. Um, I, I don't see too many things that are round numbers. So when there's round numbers, it's, it's, it's their estimate or they're just throwing something out there that's not actual factual $40,000 in maintenance cost yeah it can't be $40,000 even it's impossible. Yeah, it's, impossible. It's, it's 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 fluky if it is yeah. but uh, it's likelihood be. it's not so when you see round numbers or you see certain amounts that you want to see uh, cents yeah you, you definitely want to see cents yeah. but and and you know what even even on um utility bills if you see the, the electric and I've seen this before they had electric at you know $350 each month like Flat. really, like you know, throughout the summer, winter, when you put your heat, when you put air conditioning, it, it there's there's no way Does in hell. Um, so, anyways, those are just little. Um, I know you mentioned. Forensic. No, but now that you're speaking of utilities, yeah. that's another point. Like utilities too, you can ask for a couple of like you know, typically they'll have twelve different uh, bills for the year, one per month. So you can just ask for you know three random ones. You know, you can go like February, April, and uh, you know November. Uh, ideally, maybe you can just take four and pick one per season, just to have an idea. Actually, of what most the utility bills, I think right now they have uh, they have your your history on there, so they'll compare your last um, uh, eleven months, or they'll compare you to last year mm -hmm. on that time or whatever. So in any case, it's a simple yeah. verification. Uh, same thing with if they have telephone, internet. If it's a big complex, they likely have some internet in there. Uh, and then, well, let's make sure that on the PL, the same as residential, there's certain things that need to be in there, which are which are your taxes you mentioned, yeah, which are the insurance, and make sure there is management uh, that someone's operating the ship and, and and maintenance that there is reasonable maintenance in there. It yeah. should be around 10% of whatever the gross is. Exactly. And if it's a lot less, then they're probably underreporting, and if it's a lot more, then there's well, a lot of deferred maintenance, so you you might want to take a look at that as well. Which you'll see in the inspection later, yeah. but it's it's going to be a it's it's like a telltale sign of what to expect. So the TIMS has to be there whether it's yeah. residential or commercial. So that's your taxes, your insurance, your maintenance, your management. Now management may not be there if they manage. I mean, there are some people, even if they own a 50 unit that take care of their own properties. There's just some people that love to manage their own stuff. But if, if there isn't a management, you have to assume that there's going to be an additional 10% of gross income that's going to be taken as management. That's right. So you put that in there. Uh, I mean... You're going to look at the PL. There's things that they might have auto expense, which, you know, you're not going to have the, the car expense because they like to, if it's an entity, they like to write off their cars in there. They like to write off a bunch of their things. Uh, you'll see that there's certain things that are not really relevant uh, uh, in the way you're going to operate. But as long as your TIMs are there, that's, that, that's super important. There'll okay. be some addbacks as well, like depreciation. 
yeah. and amortization, um, which are actual paper expenses. You can't um, verify those. Yeah. So just if they have those in the P&L, um, you have to add them back into uh, the NOI or the net operating income because it's not a real expense. It's it's a paper expense. And so. you're going to undervalue the property and then you may be losing out on a good and deal on, on because really you're not deal. doing yeah. your math right. Exactly. So just make sure you take a look at that. And I know at first it might sound like, wow, this is really complicated. <clears throat> Excuse me. But once you actually start doing it and looking at it, it, it becomes quite simple. Um, and uh, I, at the end of this, I think we'll we'll ask you to go take a look at a P&L. Uh, just go uh, on, on LoopNet and uh, just find a, a property that's for sale. Take a look at a P&L or OM and you'll be able to see these expenses and you'll see for yourself if, if these things make sense or not. And, and typically the m and is missing, like in residential. Yeah. The m and the candy is always missing. So always, always taking the candy uh, away. Uh, so yeah, definitely took a look at that. So once you, so, and again, we, we do this, we, we trust the seller or the agent, what they're telling us, verify. but now we're at the verification. Trust, but verify. That's our, that's our model is trust. We trust you, but we're going to verify what you're telling us. And, and that's, you know, being responsible yeah. to not only yourself, but also to your investors and, and your, your, your lenders that are giving you this money to, 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 to make that acquisition. Right. So even though you're not playing with your own money, it's you still got to respect that. Someone's giving you Absolutely. money and trusting you for that. And that's the most important thing. Otherwise, if you don't and you do shitty business, you're not going to be in business for very long. That's so once you got your income and expenses verified, right. your well, next thing is? Well, in a bigger property, I like to get the management out there pretty quickly as well. So, you know, again, we go three management companies. They get, you, you need to have three management companies that are willing and able to manage. You send them out there. Uh, you have them uh, look at the premises and you have them report to you as to whether or not they are uh, willing to manage, they're able to manage. And... Uh, what they feel is necessary in terms of maintenance to be able to, you know, rent out any vacant units that are there or not. Uh, once you have that management settled, then you can also have your inspector go out there and uh, provide you with a report. And in in a commercial property, the inspection is similar to the to the residential one. Uh, the only thing is, is your lender may require a phase one environmental uh, study. And so that's something that uh, sometimes your inspector can actually provide as well. So if, if you have that up front, you can tell your inspector to have that done, just like we had recently done on, on the property we're looking at. Uh, sometimes the inspector that you're going to hire does not do environmental. You're going to have to look for someone else and have have them sent there to do an environmental. What's a phase one? You want to know what a phase one? Phase one, for those of you guys who don't know, it's basically a desk assessment. They don't necessarily go out to the premises to do a phase one environmental so look at uh, they tap into like 15 different government websites to get information that they have access to to see if there was any contamination or if a train tipped over or if there was a, a, a gas a, station on a, a gas station that you know that one of their tanks leaks. So do do that, and if there's re if there's a reason for concern during the phase one, which is the desk mm. uh, inspection, then they'll do a phase two where they actually go out to the premises and do soil sampling and shit like that and other things. Uh, typically, we're not in that situation. I haven't had a phase two requirement, no, ever. Uh, but phase one, yes, depending on the area, especially those energy uh, dependent, dependent areas, uh, they do. If you're very close to where they're, you know, drilling for oil, um, they, they may ask for that because it's contaminated land, and and that actually adds up to quite a bit. They can be quite expensive. Yeah. Those phase ones and phase two. So yeah, and if they uh, find and it's something, it's not always necessary. But if it's necessary, it's yeah. it's necessary. Because if they find something, you have to clean it up before you can actually yeah. buy it. And the cleaning up part is is a whole other cost benefit analysis. Yeah, yeah. But so, so going so, back to the inspection, yeah. Yeah, so that that's one thing you you can hire a third party professional inspector, and mm -hmm. there's other ways to get inspections even by government agencies yeah. that go out 
and willingly for free. HUD, for HUD free. will do that. Yeah. HUD. Uh, for those of you that are familiar with uh, the Voucher A program, which is, you know, they're helping people in that have financial hardship. Uh, they help them out in a program where they subsidize all or part of their rent. And, you know, if you phone up HUD and say, I want to... Uh, I want my property to be, we're, we're acquiring this property, approved. we want it to be right. Section 8 approved to help both folks. They'll come out and they'll take a look at the property. I don't know if they look at every unit, but they'll take a good sampling of it for sure. And that's important even if you get a third party uh, inspector. You don't want them to inspect every room because it could be quite hefty. So if you're looking at a uh, $100, uh, 100 every unit, unit uh, yeah. building, you may want to inspect, typically it's about 20%. Uh, they do random checks at twenty percent of the units. So, but getting you, you could there, do a twenty, you could do thirty, you could do forty, you could do fifty. Well, it, just, it just keeps adding up the more you do, and the more yeah. uh, the, the inspector also is is. I mean, they're used to this, so if they're going to start by sampling twenty. But if they see problems everywhere, they'll increase yes, their sampling. Exactly. They'll call you and tell you, "Hey, listen, I found a lot of problems. Is it okay if I do another ten? Do you want me to go ahead?" And with we that? get to choose those numbers. It's not up to the seller. That's so right. That's yeah. extremely important. It's not like we want to see the units that the seller told us to take a look at. It's we exactly like sampling and with the receipts from before. Mm -hmm. We want to randomly pull a selection and take a look at those. Yeah. So whether you're using the third-party uh, inspector or HUD uh, Section Eight to come out and they'll make a checklist or both. Okay. I, or you can do both, both yes. Because I want the, the, the HUD inspector is not going to look at the roof and the mechanicals mm -hmm. and the foundation. He's not going to crawl underneath, uh, you know, to find out if there's no. uh, some foundation issues. But they'll definitely tell us, yes, it's HUD approved or not approved uh, for, for, you know, for collecting vouchers, which is to get on the list to be able to get as many, um, you know, Section 8 people as possible. And they typically ask for a little bit more than the typical, uh, the typical, uh, I guess, maintenance requirements for a unit. So if, if, if you get a hot approval, then you know you know you're you're pretty much set. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. Okay, so we have our inspector. We're gonna get the report, and with the management. report, what you could do is is involve uh, uh, if there is extensive repairs or or significant pages to it, um, you may want to engage some general contractors. So you find three local general contractors. Go to Google, just Google general contractors, and you can give them a copy of that report and say, hey, we, we're looking to acquire this. We're looking for someone to. Uh, to correct these issues, can you provide us with a written estimate? And and at least you know that going in that you're going to have to put that capital infusion into that property. Uh, so you're well equipped. There's no surprises. Uh, so that's what I would do is, is yeah, engage a, a general contractor yeah, to get for involved. For sure. Yes, we actually get three quotes and then I take the highest quote, bring it back to the seller and say, hey, this is what it's going to cost plus or minus 20%. So I'm actually going to ask for him to fix it or her, mm -hmm. sorry. Um, either you fix it or we'll put money in escrow plus 20%, yep. to, because once we open up um, the property and once we start working on it, there's always something else that's going to occur. Be dug it's up. never going to be, I, I don't know, a contractor where it's done on time for under price. Never happens, it's always more. That's right. So you always wanna you know, uh, account for those contingencies and uh, by asking for 20% more, or ask for a discount uh, of that plus 20%. Um, but I prefer to have it at escrow, uh, and then if there's an overage, then they keep the extra. If, if it costs less, then they, the seller gets it back. I'm not looking at, at this as a profit center at all. I just want to buy the property for the price that we agreed on without it falling apart or being a danger 
um, or a potential lawsuit that could hurt us uh, long term. Yeah. So that's very, very important as well. And if you do get uh, the seller, like you said, you're not making it as a profit center, but if you do get the seller and the seller agrees to make those necessary repairs, you would have to engage that inspector to go back out to make sure they're done properly because uh, I've had issues where, you know, the seller says, no, we took care of the whole list or whatever, this and that, and everything's good. Here's the pictures or whatever. But they put lipstick on a pig, basically, yeah. and it's not to code, and, and that's a whole different ball of wax. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you get the county and the city involved and they go in there and, and it's not to code, you're going to get code violations, and you can't rent out the room, and then you're stuck to doing those repairs yeah. anyways. And again, whatever that costs, it's an investment because mm -hmm. if you pay for that and you find out that it was lipstick on a pig, you just saved yourself a whole boatload of problems and financial problems. It's, it's a divorce waiting to happen. Correct. If you buy something like that, it's you want to. So I think we've we've covered most of this. So just again, uh, we'll go back to management. It's super critical. Uh, if if you can't find three management companies that are willing and able to manage this property, uh, you right away you have to move to a, a separate exit strategy. You're not buying this. You're gonna either wholesale it to someone local who can actually handle it themselves, or you're going to just pass on the deal. Yeah. Or wholesale or. Yeah, I, so I just wanted to add something on on um, on, on with, with with commercial because um, we're dealing with you know depending on the number of units, you may want to also ask in your due diligence on any uh, vendor contracts they may have for either uh, waste or or, or or landscaping or things <laughs> like that because some of these these contracts you can't breach them. Uh, they're 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 set with that property for a certain time uh, time period. So you want to see if they have contracts with these vendors. Yeah. Do you honor them? Do you continue going through with them? Uh, can you renegotiate them? Uh, so I would definitely get out of that. them. Yep. The same thing with the property manager and the same thing with, with the tenants. So when you get the, the lease agreements, I know when you look at it, you can't throw out yeah. your tenants and just no, you increase. To, you got to honor the, yeah. the expiry of the, honor the, the leases. Lease. We also want the leases. I don't think we discussed that. We want every copy. Oh, of yeah, every we lease. want when you, 100%. We, you have yeah. to have that. Yeah. And, well, you're matching. And the applications the for the lease as well. If, if it's well run, they should have applications with copies of driver's licenses. So you can actually see that the lease that's there is with a real person. With a driver's license that backs it, so that's those are good things. And if they the background checks, is because sometimes what people do, and people plan this. I'm not saying everyone's you know out to 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 be a crook, but some sellers when they know. So if I'm looking to sell my property and I am a crook, and and, and I'm not, I am I'm not. But if I were and I was looking to sell my property, what I would do is to maximize my occupancy so it looks attractive. Is I would actually make up leases or get anyone in there without doing a proper background check or they're not working or whatever just get them in there i would have even pay them and there's been scenario i think marco you yeah. had a scenario where the seller paid the tenant stay there. To, to, to stay there to pay yeah. so it looks good on paper and they'll even bullshit on their tax return yeah. they'll inflate their income purposely so these are people that strategize a year in advance uh to do something like that and then once you go in there you realize half of your tenants are not even qualified to be there they yeah, can't even afford to be there they don't belong there yeah now th those are horror stories and they don't always happen so yeah. don't worry about that no, but no but asking for the application yes, and, and, the, the, the more the more checks and balances that you have the less likelihood that yes you're gonna our processes that. are in here because of the shit that's happened exactly. in the past it doesn't mean it's going to happen but at least we're covering our re-rends we're mitigating our risk uh one i think there's one thing that we didn't cover is if the property actually already has property management in place you're going to have to make sure that you want to keep them. And you may want to keep them, you may not want to keep them, That's but that's something you're going to have to do. So you, you always have to send out more management companies. I think we're going to have another podcast on what type of questions to ask yes. and 
and, and how to validate whether you want to keep them or not. But maybe just you're going to have to review the management agreement so to know whether or not you actually can terminate their, their services if you wanted to and under what conditions you can do that, how much uh, notice you have to give them, if there's a penalty for doing so, etc. But that would be on the seller anyway. If they have a contract with the management company and they're selling, then... Um, Usually there's an exit like, clause when, you, when they do when sell they that sell, the management yeah. is, is free and clear. But you may want to keep them. But, if but you want to do that before. Yeah, because if you close and they're still in there and then you want to get rid of them, then it's on you. Agreed. So so you just want to read the agreement and make sure. And you can use that actually to leverage agreements with other management companies uh, if you want to hire someone else. Yeah, true, so, true. Okay. And those are the major brushstrokes. That's right. So um, follow that checklist. Uh, if you want the checklist of things, uh, just send us an email. Uh, Marco at MarcoKazlowski.com and say, uh, would love the, uh, the commercial uh, DD checklist and we'd be happy to send it to you. So thanks for following along and we'll see you in the next episode. If you like this episode of Big Fat Real Estate Checks, then show some love by leaving a comment and a good rating. Also, as a thank you for tuning in today, we've got a special free gift. The journey to passive cash flow for a life starts by finding deals and it's easier than you think. Simply go to GetDealsByTuesday.com, enter your email address, and we'll send you a free quick start course called Deals by Tuesday. Even if it's 11 p.m. Monday night, this course will show you how to find discounted real estate deals by Tuesday. It's that fast and simple. Go to GetDealsByTuesday.com and start your journey toward life-changing cash flow today. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode. Mm -hmm.